Today's episode is presented by Lodestar, the fee experts. Hi, everyone. Welcome to this week's episode of Lodestar's Lending Leaders. Our guest is Mike Yu, co-founder at Vesta, a next-generation loan origination system. Um, a lot more than that. I'm excited to get into it. Mike um, makes me feel old, everything that he's done um, at his age from his his time at Blend, his time in the industry, and other things. So really excited to dive into kind of technology and what's, what's going on at, at Vesta. So uh, Mike, thanks so much for joining. Yeah, thanks for having me. Great. So what not only brought you into the mortgage industry, but got you to actually start a, a company in a LOS space, which is competitive, high barrier to entry, you know, not something that, you know, folks grow up wanting to do. Yeah, like pretty much everyone I've ever talked to in the industry, I got in almost entirely by accident. Um, I was, uh, you know, looking for a early stage startup, I wanted to work on a product team, I wanted to work with some really smart people. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was lucky enough to get introduced to Blend. And I was like, well, Blend, like, you know, all these people seem really smart, what do they actually do? And this investor is like, well, they work on mortgages. And I was like, mortgages? I don't, I've never thought about working on mortgages. Um, but of course I, I ended up there mostly because I, I really respected and admired that team. Mm-hmm. And over a little more than four years, I got pretty entrenched in the industry. You know, you spend a lot of time with lenders, you spend a lot of time with Fannie and Freddie and, and partners and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, with, you know, one of our good mutual friends, Chris Mace, spent a lot of time with him. Yep. Um, and after a little more than four years at Blend, I started to hear some themes over and over and over, um, from, you know, talking to all these people. The first was, hey, um, Mike, can you please build us a new LOS? Uh, I actually got that request from a few lenders. Um, and yeah. when you hear that a few times, you, you start to think maybe that becomes a good idea. Um, another big one that we saw was really just the sheer amount of kind of manual work that was going into originating a mortgage. And it's like, everyone feels like it's not done as efficiently as it could be. It's getting done multiple times, pretty much without fail. It's getting mm-hmm. done in systems that are maybe slower or unintuitive and people don't think it's a good experience. And so over the last 10 years, like margins have gotten like mostly worse. The yeah. cost has like monotonically gone up and everyone's like out here pouring effort into technology uh, and it's still struggling to really bring costs down. And we mm-hmm. saw that across the industry and we we sort of observed that we think the fundamental problem is you just need to reset in how this work is getting done, like how mm-hmm. people are deciding what work to do so you can take the work away from people. And that really started with the LMS. So there was some lender demand. There was this kind of insight around how we were actually going to cut cost. And then finally, we we noticed that there were a ton of these mortgage lenders and a ton of these really great innovative partners now, like yourselves mm-hmm. and, and you know a bunch of other newer mortgage point solutions. And it was just surprisingly hard for lenders to innovate, to try new vendors, to try new technologies. Um, and a lot of that was these vendors spent like more than half their time integrating to these legacy systems and these legacy architectures. And so if we were going to go and do this really hard thing that you mentioned, of, you know, going and rebuilding a new right. LS from scratch, making sure that we can give lenders something that's open architecture and future proof. So that they can really be kind of innovation-led companies, try new stuff really seamlessly. Everything is plug and play. Mm-hmm. Um, that that kind of was a, a core part of our philosophy as well. And so you kind of look at all those things together. That was just kind of like staring us in the face. That like, hey, Mike and David, you should probably go go build an LOS. Right. And so obviously, you know, a whole reset of a tech stack sounds like a great idea. Um, in terms of like, hey, let's just build everything from scratch. How hard can that be? Um, let's, you know, create things the way we want it, knowing what we do now and not dealing with 15, 20 year old legacy systems. But how do you actually convince a lender to do that? Because there's a lot of things that are, you know, affecting that. Some people have employees that are admins of their current LOS, right? They have people that are it's just so ingrained in what they do. Yeah, I really think of this, um, I, I, I've 
said this over and over, over the history of the company. I really think of doing one of these big sales, like this is a big project for a lender, yeah. along kind of three pillars that stand mm-hmm. up making this project worthwhile. The first, which is really important, is really this like aspirational pillar. Um, it's a very asymmetric trade uh, for someone to, to implement a new LMS. You know, it's like there's a lot of downside if you get it wrong. Yeah. Um, and so you need to give some some people almost like this emotional, aspirational reason to be excited about this, mm-hmm. which is really, hey, if you want to become a technology led company and not necessarily a company that builds your own technology or builds your own software, because I get banks telling me all the time, no, Mike, we're not going to do that, which I think, right. by the way, is pretty prudent. Um, but you really want to say, hey, we differentiate with our consumers because we give them the best digital experience. We're able to differentiate because we use, you know, best in breed solutions and bring them together yeah. and we can manufacture the lower cost. If you want to be that kind of technology led company, you have to do it on kind of a next generation platform. And so mm-hmm. co- sort of pillar one is this aspirational story, which is, hey, um, how do you become the lender that you really want to be? You've got to kind of fundamentally retool. That's a great story by itself, of course, but no one's buying on just that story. Right. Pillar two is uh, the ROI case. And that's really where it comes down to, hey, you're spending a bunch on technology, you're spending a bunch on processing and underwriting and labor, mm-hmm. and that's creating time to close and margin and thousands of dollars cost per loan. Um, and if you execute this project and you switch to um, Vesta, you know, other lenders have been able to save X dollars. Right. And so that's an important piece of these big project sales as well. And then finally, there's kind of this third pillar, which is what I call the surround sound unit of the ecosystem, mm-hmm. which is, it is all about relationships. It's about meeting people like you or like, you know, some other partners in the ecosystem. And it's about everyone kind of coming together. And every every lender, I say, has like the partner that they call when they want to make a decision. Like in some cases, it was blends um, when I was there. In some cases, you know, it's, uh, you, in some cases, it's going to be their pricing engine, like whoever right. they really feel like they've connected with. Mm-hmm. Um, and one thing that's important is that we're able to partner really well with everyone in the ecosystem. So there's kind yeah. of a surround sound unit of all the vendors in the ecosystem saying, hey, Linders, you should take a look at Vesta. Um, and that's actually been a really successful part of our strategy so far. I think that, because uh, you know, in many cases, like the, the software companies get it. Like they, we do an integration yeah. and they see how quickly we're doing an integration compared to some of, you know, our peers at doing integration, or they see, you know, yeah. how intricate we can get and how high quality that product can be. Um, and so having those champions kind of throughout the ecosystem is kind of mm-hmm. a, a big piece as well. And when you put all three together, I think that's really how you kind of start to develop the momentum to to get people yeah. to do this really hard thing. Yeah, that last point's really interesting. I got a call from a client the other day about a new vendor, like, hey, what do you know about these guys? Like, what do you think? Because, you know, obviously a technology person is going to know technology. Um, so I never really thought of that as, as kind of leveraging as much of the the, the sales process, too. Um, I mean, that's all well and good, I think, until they say, hey, you know, this is great. I see the ROI, but how the hell are we going to train our team on this, right? Like, I feel like there's just so many, you know, we're, we're a plug-in solution. So just just people contemplating making a, a, a huge switch. Um is something that is just still kind of mind blowing to me. Yeah, it's uh, it's definitely not easy. Yeah. One one big thing that we have also seen though, um, you know, it is really important to make the implementation as productized as possible, mm-hmm. and that includes you, you know you mentioned training. Like if you want to get trained on new LOS today, either you hire people who have used the LOS before, or it's like this huge grueling exercise of like yeah. trainers like flying out, or you train the trainer, or all sorts of crazy stuff. Um, and the software doesn't have to be that hard. Um, like the idea that you need, you know, a certification or like 40 hours of training to just yeah. use the software to do your job is, is a little bit crazy. Like no one trained me on how to use, you know, Slack, Figma, or Notion, um, right. in order to, to, you know, write or GitHub to, to write software. 
Right. And so there's definitely ways in which you can take a lot of these traditional implementation lights and productize them. The shift of cloud infrastructure is a big one. You know, right. before in the start of your LS implementation, you spend like six months installing the data center. Um, and like, you know, going on prem and setting it up and putting the routers in the data right. center at the bank and whatever. Um, and so over time, a lot of that stuff has gotten more productized and more out of box yeah. feeling. And then workflow customization. So for us, that's all about how do you do no code tooling so that lenders can kind mm-hmm. of manage that themselves. You come out of right. box with something relatively good. Mm-hmm. Um, but really accelerating that. So the implementation is less scary as well. But it's right. still a big and, problem. I mean, it's a lot of, obviously, there's a, a, you know, a legacy system aspect of some of that. And in some ways, it's just sticky, right? Of like, hey, like, you know, needing admins, needing all these things makes a product stickier. Um, so just always fighting that. And I always think of um, with, in the 80s with IBM, the big blue guarantee is no one gets fired for hiring IBM. Right. When you're a new company um, or a company trying to grow in the industry, you don't have that. Like someone will get fired for picking Lodestar if it doesn't work. Right. So it's always um, certainly an LOS implementation that that fails, too. Um, So, you know, there's there's just so much kind of momentum and friction that you're fighting against constantly. Yeah, for sure. Mm -hmm. In many ways, you know, it's like our job not to fail. Like people, people take bets on you or they take bets on on me and our companies. And those you have. You take those bets really, really seriously, especially yeah. in the early days. It's like if you're one of the first 10, 10 customers of Asta, yeah. you have to be successful. Like we don't have a choice. If you're not successful, yeah. we're not going to be successful. And well, so, that's always, you know, I, I get that question, especially, you know, we're in year nine now, but always like, hey, how do I know your fees are accurate? And my honest answer is because they have to be, right? Because like if your fees are wrong, I'm screwed, right? Not only is that hurting you, but that's my entire business. So, you know, it's it's always, you know, having those same priorities aligned, I think is super helpful of like, yeah, you know, we're 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 betting everything on this. I know you're betting a lot, but like, you know, we're we're all in as well. So Mm-hmm. And I, I really like that aspirational point of, you know, what type of company you want to be and how much of that is kind of like pitching where the industry is going, where you think things are going to be. Like, what is the danger of not? switching to, you know, a newer tech stack or, or not relying on these legacy softwares as we get 5, 10 in the years in the future? Yeah, a ton of, I actually say a lot that a ton of my job is just talking about where I think the industry is going. Um, and I have this like yeah. point of view that I tell I tell everyone there when we have this conversation or any partner, which is mm-hmm. look, you may buy Vesta, you may not buy Vesta. At the end of the day, we have a overarching belief on where the industry is going in five to 10 years where lenders are much more technology led. They're picking best in breed solutions and combining them. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, this, this firm kind of like technology thesis as to what happens to the industry. And if that thesis comes true, Vest will be successful. Um, mm-hmm. and I really believe that. And I don't know if that means we're going to have 20% market share or 50% or 80%. And you know what? That's like kind of my sales team's job to, right. to figure out what the number is and, and what, where the score comes out. Mm-hmm. But the most important th- thing for me is that everyone understands that, you know, this is the direction that mortgage should go and mm-hmm. that that and that that comes true because if that doesn't come true then i can almost be certain that we won't be successful mm-hmm. um and so i think of a few things that that i really do as let's call them inevitable in in mortgage um in origination specifically but in mortgage more broadly as well so one is that like seems very buzzwordy and easy to say and it's definitely not true today is that everything just has to be driven by the data mm-hmm. um right there's this massive data set in mortgage and and everyone says like oh you know encompasses 37,000 fields. Like there's a ton of data set, data fields already. And that's definitely true. But there's even more data than that right now that's kind of locked up that people aren't using, that lives in documents that no one can actually write business logic or rules around mm-hmm. um, that the computer can't analyze. And so the first thing you have to do is kind of build this like r- robust data platform 
that lets you actually structure everything about that loan. Once you've done that, you can use automated analysis to make a risk decision. And you don't need machine learning or AI or any of that stuff. And I'm sure the industry will get there over, let's right. call it 10 or 20 years. Um, but today, let, let's be realistic. Like the people that buy the loans are the people who get to make the rules. And those people are not using AI to, to make the rules or buy the loans. No. Well, I mean, um, that's so, the same reason digital closings haven't taken off because of the, the ability to resell. Right, exactly. Yeah. And so I think the inevitability is that it will be a very technology-driven industry where it's all about data and it's about analysis. And both of those things can be done by computers. Right. Um, and in order for lenders to kind of compete in this new world, what they're going to care about is what's my customer experience and how am I doing that digitally? Yeah. How am I getting the customer digitally? And then how am I putting the pieces together to make this data and analysis piece as low cost to me as possible, as frictionless and transparent, and then risk-free for me to hand off to the investor, right? And all of that, everything I just talked about, none of that is, um, like, it's all technology. There will right. still very much be a human component. They're going to have an advisory role. They're right. going to have kind of people that oversee all this stuff. Like, mm -hmm. there, there will always be people in mortgage, but so much of, his, of it is going to be, how do I, like, mix and match the various pieces of technology and combine them? Well, into and then, so a lot of what you're things. saying here focuses on the underwriting aspect, the production aspect, which makes sense, right? That there's rules, there's data, like that makes sense. But, you know, I just, I just bought a house, right? This is such a personal decision. How, what is the loan officer's role and how does technology make that a little bit easier as we move, you know, five, 10 years down the road? Yeah. So I, the loan officer, it really is all about how do you make that customer comfortable? Mm -hmm. How do you, there is a sales component. I know yeah. that that's like not super popular to say, but the reality is. Oh yeah, a hundred percent. Because that's a sales business in a way. Mm -hmm. um, and so it really is like a minute that the loan officer is not spending talking to the customer is probably a minute that they're like not doing the highest leverage thing they could be doing right. with their job, right? Mm -hmm. um, and so I think that a lot of it is going, a lot of the question is how do you strip away a lot of this extraneous stuff? How do you strip away asking the borrower for documents? How do you strip away like, going and looking the property up on Zillow to make sure it's there. Like, why is your loan officer doing that? I used to play a lot of this extraneous stuff with technology. In many ways, that's actually why at Vesta, we were like, we're going to build this core loan origination system. We're not going to build borrower facing experience. We're not going to build a bunch of LO sales tools. We're not going to... And a lot of that is like, those aren't going to be technology utilities almost in the future. Like, our point of view is the, the core technology data platform analysis around processing underwriting is this thing that is just... It's like a ecosystem utility like everyone should just be able to use this technology to take that piece away and then they're all going to differentiate on their loan officers and the experience that they create in the brand they're going to mm -hmm. differentiate on the customer experience mm -hmm. and so those are things where you're going to want a lot of different factors to differentiate and one of them maybe the technology you decide to build like right. what point of sale are you using or what sales tools are you giving your loan officers right. how do you let them do scenario analysis really easily to, yeah. to you know recruit better loan officers and and give them the tools to mm -hmm. walk the borrowers through the simulation yeah but a lot of it's also going to be like, who do you hire? What is your company culture? Like all sorts of stuff that honestly a vendor can't really help you with. Right. Um, and so I think that there will be a huge kind of, when you think about differentiating on the sales and the customer experience, there's a huge human component as well. Yeah. And to be honest, that's kind of why I like we, we stay away from that area because I'm like, I don't, I don't think that we can help lenders nearly as much as we can right. on this very technology. Well, there, there comes a point in time, you know, I like what you're saying that like all of this other aspect of it becomes table stakes, right? Like 10 years ago, the idea of a point of sale system didn't exist, right? Now you absolutely need one, right? The idea of a CRM you know, didn't exist. Now you absolutely need one. There comes a point in time where, you know, all of this is just baked into what you need to do to be a mortgage company. And I think to your point, the idea of that type of automation from the time an application comes in till closing, um, 
you know, you can't afford not to have it at some point. And then you can worry about the the softer elements, the sales elements, the marketing, the fun stuff, as I call it, of like, you know, how do you actually get to customers, make them helpful, um, you know, make yourself helpful and like, you know, define the types of things you do as a business. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And that's really where lenders should be focused. Like yeah. lender, the fact that lenders are spending a bunch of time thinking about these things that aren't that accretive to the customer is like uh, an inefficiency of the industry, right? Yeah. Well, yeah, I can see that. Um, I think so, right? It, it feels like lenders need to be technology experts, right? And like, will that persist once the tools in the industry get a little bit easier and better? Maybe not. Maybe, you know, we'll see, I guess. We will. <laughs> yeah, I think there'll always be that like technology folks, those folks at, at a lender. But I think, you know, the the lift of what they need can, you know, hopefully go down, I think. So um, changing topics a little bit, um, you know, going from Blend, going from the investment side that you were in before that, now you're starting a company, right? You've been uh, a few years into Vesta now. What has surprised you about founding a company, running a business? You know, I I really want to dive into that because it's something that's so interesting to me. So I would love to hear about kind of that journey, like what has been easier, what has been harder, what has, you know, totally kicked your ass? Yeah. There are, there's like a certain level of difficulty that actually comes, uh, that I didn't expect, which is the, mm-hmm. there's like the stress and emotional component, which yeah. is like the buck stops with you. Like there's yeah one thing that I always remember was like, and I really, I had a great time at Blend. I loved Blend. And yeah. every time I had a really hard decision, I had this option, which was I could call Nima and I could be like, Nima, what should I do? <laughs> um, and the day I left and I started Vesta, that option was taken away from me. Um, and it turns out that like, that's a really valuable option, yeah. even if you only exercise it once a year, but you don't, it, it's like a different level of stress to know that like you have the ultimate accountability right. and that's on you. And then that only yeah. gets worse over time. Like wh- the other thing that I kind of believed or was hopeful about was like, you know, maybe this gets easier over time. Like you get used to it. And instead what happens is you realize you, you raise some money from investors. Well, now you have more parties that you're accountable to and more yeah. people you can't let down. You, then hire, you hire employees. employees. And yeah. yeah, now you have more people you can't let down. And then you have customers take a bet on you. And they're like, oh my God, like now this thing has to work. And so the yeah. pressure has like monotonically gotten worse. Um, even though I, I was like, oh, you know, maybe, you know, after we raise $30 million, it'll be easier. After we like hire this key person, it'll be yeah. easier. After our first three customers, it'll be easier. And like, like no, it actually just like the pressure ratchets it up, ratchets yeah. up over and over. Um, and so that, that definitely has been the surprisingly hard part. I mean, I think that. The other piece, obviously, is just like we're building something that most people say is crazy. Um, we kind of started and we thought we had like a pretty good idea of what NaloS did. Mm-hmm. I still, looking back on it, we had a pretty good idea of what NaloS yeah. did. Um, I don't know if there's anyone in the world anymore who knows everything that, that they do in their LOS. <laughs> it's just like, cause we would go into these shadowing sessions with lenders and like, you know, sometimes mm-hmm. the VP of technology wants to come along and see and they think they know all the requirements and they look at what they're, you know, processors or underwriters are doing and they're like we didn't know that all of us did that um yeah and so you're just like kind of doing this archaeological dig like i actually tell early partners like we have a few core insights on how people should originate mortgages and we think that like there are huge benefits to being first to partner with us on these insights etc etc but the reality is you know and we know that the los is this like massive dinosaur and what we have to do together is go on this archaeological dig to figure out everything that's in there and make sure that we put it in and frame it against these core insights so that we can build you the best system. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we, I've honestly just been like 
shocked at the at the complexity of the problem even knowing that it was going to be probably like twice as big as we thought it was yeah it was probably then twice as big as that again right and then i mean the good thing about where you're at in, in technology is now you can you're not trying to over optimize and check every box you build something that's flexible that can handle those requirements because there'll always be one right i i, I swear clients when we talk to them they thrive on finding that type of loan file that you haven't seen before. Like, especially title agents, they just want to stump you. Like, even if this happens 0.1% of the time, they're like, what about a second appraisal, but it's a different appraiser and then there's a rush fee. So how do we do that? Right? Like every time, like there's no, I've seen a whole lot in nine years um, in fees and they're always, someone's always trying to stump you, right? And you can't, you can't build out to anything. You just have to build a system that's going to be flexible enough for the things that you don't know. So I think to your, your dinosaur reference, you just want to be that velociraptor, right? At the end of the day, you just want to be fast enough uh, to be able to, you know, adapt to the things as they change. Definitely. Definitely. Yeah. But, um, no, I, I, I like that a lot. Um, so in, um, in in running the business so far and dealing with those stresses, how do you how do you handle that? How do you you know deal with those things as they change? How do you deal with that that personally? Yeah, the most important thing, um, and I really believe this, I is that you just have to build a team that you can trust. Yeah, and that you really have a deep respect for, like every mm-hmm. single person. Yeah, um, and it is all about the team. I I say this a lot to my team, which is like, none of this is rocket science. Like. People have asked for years and years, like someone probably should build a new LLS. Like that's not actually that surprising. I think we have some good ideas. I don't think our ideas are things that we talk about and people go like, oh, you know what? We didn't think of that idea. If we had that idea, we could build this too. Like at the end of the day, it's kind of like it's a game of inches and you just have to like put one foot in front of the other like Mm -hmm. over and over and over again. And so the only advantage that you have is you have to build a team that is like incredibly capable, that really has all of the right values and the right alignment. And if you build that set of people, um, it also can be fun, which is like crazy. Um, you know, if, if someone was like, oh, is it fun to do, you know, the 2000, you know, dock engine mappings that, you know, we're going to have to go do tomorrow or whatever. Uh, I don't think anybody in the right mind is going to be like, oh, like that's normally yeah. my idea of like a fun weekend. Right. Um, but it is about, I think, doing it with the right people right. and feeling that sense of accomplishment together. And that's also kind of what lets you or has let me at least kind of like offload some of that burden to being able to tell my team, like, I trust you. Yeah. You figure this out. Obviously they still probably have like that ultimate trick that I always had at Blender's like they can call me and be like, no, Mark, I need you to decide. But being able to make fewer decisions is really helpful. Just yeah. hiring the right people. Um, that's probably been the big thing that. Yeah. And that actually empowering think- them with information, I think. And that took me a while to learn of actually sharing the information you have and not feeling like you're, you know, scared to be like, Hey, here's the actual full problem. Right. Of like, here's the problem. What do you what do you think? Yeah. Um, and that's being transparent is hard, but it's yeah. so important. Like in today's market, it's so easy to just be like, oh, you know, like that doesn't really affect yeah. us. Oh, we, we're yeah. not really thinking about that right now. But no, the reality is like there was from May to July, every two weeks, I get in front of the whole company and, you know, we talk about what's on my yeah. mind. I'm like, so this is the inflation print. This is why this is bad. These are the lenders that blew up. Like, these are all like the bad things that are in our industry. I was like, aren't you scared that everyone's going to quit? I'm like, well, 
they know anyways. Like this is my philosophy. It's, like, it's worse knows. if you don't talk. I do the same thing on our monthly calls. I, I pick a headline every month about how the industry's going. And it's worse if you don't do it because they all see the headlines, right? Their friends, their right. family, people are sending them, you know, headlines about what's happening in the industry. It's not like they're living in a bubble. So, you know, if you don't handle it head on, you're you're screwed. Yeah, my rule on this is everybody knows, you yeah. know, like you think you're like not telling them and you're like, no, they, they know yeah. anyways. All they also know now is that like, you're not willing to talk about it. Yeah, no. I And I think, you know, it's it's a level of respect being like, I know you guys know this. This is how we we handle it. And I think it's always, always good to be, you know, clarity is one of our core values. So I, I, I feel very strongly about that. For sure. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, yeah. And so as a business leader, then what are, what moments are you most proud of? Yeah. Um, actually, I tell the team this a lot, just, just across my time at Blend and at Vesta. Yeah. There are just a lot of big projects that mm-hmm. the, the things I'm also proud of, these like big projects were at the beginning, I actually had no idea how they were going to happen. So for example, like in the early days of Blend, I somehow through some like shuffling and I was like 21 at the time, got put on the Wells Fargo project. I was mm-hmm. like, we need to launch the Wells Fargo pilot by like this date in November yeah. of 2016. And we're like three weeks before that date. And I was like, I have no idea how they're like, you know, a hundred items on the backlog. I'm like, I have no idea how on earth we're like possibly going to figure this out. <laughs> um, but you don't think you have no choice, honestly, right? Like yeah. that, that big project, that point in the company, like we were still pretty young. You don't have a choice. Like you have to figure it out. Um, and we figured it out. And that's a mm-hmm. moment I'm still like to this day, really proud of like sitting yeah. there in Des Moines, like, um, when the first bar went through. Similarly, when COVID happened, Blend did this big like PPP project with MNT. Mm-hmm. And I think there was a bunch of press that we did, which was like we did it in 72 hours. And I go, that's great, everyone. Think about what the first of those 72 hours felt like. Um yeah. and so we yeah, we're just sitting there. And I remember very distinctly calling the engineer and I was like, Arjun, I actually don't know if we're gonna be able to do this. Yeah. Like these are all the things we do. I was like, about I to say, how many know. of those 72 hours did you sleep? Probably like four. Yeah. Um yeah. The the night before we realized that um you know if DocuSign was down, like they wouldn't be able to sign their app and that was just like unacceptable. And so we were up all night building a workaround so that if DocuSign was down, someone could still like download their app that they had pre-filled and sign it and upload it. Um which was thank goodness we did that because then there were like twenty thousand apps in the first two hours. And yeah. so it was like but another moment that I'm very proud of, another moment where at the beginning I was like, Oh my god, I have no idea how we're gonna right. do this. And sometimes at Vesta, I have this feeling too, and I tell the team, like, I'm actually not sure how we're going to do this, but we're going to have to find a way through. Yeah. Um, at Vesta, I think the thing I'm definitely most proud of is, again, just the team we've built, like the people we've been able to, yeah. to attract. Um, mm-hmm. we've had the great fortune of, uh, being able to raise a lot of money, which I think speaks to the pain of the problem and also the team yeah. we've been able to build. And of course, like, we're mm-hmm. very proud of that as well. Um, Mm-hmm. And, you know, the, the first the first couple lenders going live, which is, has been a recent development, were more of those projects where we were like, oh, we have no idea how, yeah. how this is going to happen. Um, and you just kind of have to fight your way through. And it really is. There's no silver bullet, right? It's like just you have 100 issues on the backlog. Yeah, it turns out there are 100 issues on the backlog. You can't ship five lines of code that fix your 100 issues. You just take them one at a time, three a day for the next, yep. you know, month and and you get through it. Yeah. No, I remember those days when the phone rang and I was just nervous of like, what's wrong now? Like, what do I have to fix? Like, I would cringe too. We would just look at each other and be like, oh, damn it. Like, so, yeah. but it it, it, it it gets better for sure. So the last question we always like to ask people uh, for this season, Lodestar is 
I named the company that because it's a guiding light. It's a principle that, you know, like a North Star. So I want to ask everyone, what's your personal North Star? What motivates you on those days where you don't feel like shipping code, where you don't feel like going through the 2000 fee mappings that you mentioned, any of that type of stuff? You don't feel like dealing with whatever problem is on your desk. Yeah, I I tell everyone this a lot. So we have a core value at Vesta, which is this idea of craftsmanship, mm-hmm. which is like, I, and I've said it a few times, even in this conversation, like, I really believe there's no magic in like the idea. There's no magic in being smarter than everyone yeah. else. There's mag- no magic in the insight. It really is about like doing the very like honest work. It's like mm-hmm. building a product that you're really proud of, solving that problem for people. Um, and you have to like take joy in the work itself. Yeah. And in doing it to a really high bar. And I think that in a lot of ways, like when it comes to how we think about framing that stuff, when it comes to like, what is that guiding light? What inspires us? Mm-hmm. I think, look, there's a lot of vision that goes into Vesta. There's a lot of excitement around what the industry can be and where it's going right. to go and all of those things. But I think on a day-to-day basis, the thing that really has to keep you going is you have to enjoy the work that you're doing and the people that you're doing it yeah. with. Because it is a long journey yeah. and there are a lot of really hard times and it's going to be thankless a lot of the time too. Yeah. Um. And so really just climbing that mountain one foot in front of yeah. the other Um for its own sake is kind of the the thing that I think keeps us going. Yeah. The phone rings a lot less when things are going right, huh? Hopefully. Yeah. We'll find out. (laughs) No, that, that, that was a beautiful answer. I really like the idea of craftsmanship and, you know, just loving, loving the product, loving, you know, the struggle. Cause I think if you don't do that, no, no end that you're going to reach will ever be worth it. There'll always be, you know, something else that you that you think you need to hit to to be happy, but you just have to, you know, really fall in love with the process. Definitely. So great. Uh well, thanks so much for coming on. Uh really appreciate your time today, Mike. This was a fun conversation. Yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah. It was really great to see you. And we'll chat soon. Yeah, have a good one. Thank you for listening to Lodestar's Lending Leaders. Please like, subscribe, and rate us five stars anywhere you get your podcast. Give a special thank you to the Lodestar team involved in the production of this podcast, including Elena Gardner, Tim Austin, and John Gardner.